0: If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you might have noticed that we have a different intro. That's because we're looking for new sponsors for the show. Not only can you get custom shout outs during ad breaks, but you can also add your links and messaging in the show notes. Not only that, but we will work with you to create a custom package according to your needs. It's everything you need to market your event, course, or service all in one place. Go to rebrandly ciire to get started. You can also help sustain future episodes with a small monthly donation by clicking the link directly in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. And as always, if you feel motivated, uplifted, or inspired anywhere along this episode, please take a screenshot and tag me at Joanne C Tan on Instagram because I would love to repost you. And also don't forget to give this podcast a positive review. Today's guest is a virtual investor in that she's never lived in any of the states her hundreds of properties are in. And with over 10 years of real estate experience in the corporate sector, after her first daughter was born, she dreamed of creating a business that would allow her personal and professional satisfaction but with the flexibility to make sure she wouldn't miss the important moments in her family life. And so working in real estate, launching her own real estate investment company made sense. So Lauren has developed a reputation in the industry for persevering in extremely competitive markets by constantly following the market changes and being flexible and willing to move market territories when needed. Welcome back to the Crushing It in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Tan, and I'm super excited to have Lauren Hardy of This Mom Flips join us today. Hi, Lauren. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being on the show. Do you want to go ahead and let the listeners know you know, how you got started in real estate?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So me getting started in real estate was, uh, gosh, I mean, very, I feel like I was born into real estate. Uh, My dad was uh, my original mentor. He Owned rental properties he actually owned he was the original og of virtual real estate investing before the term virtual real estate investing was even coined. Um, he actually owned um, rental properties small rental single family homes in Ohio and in an area where he grew up and I think it kind of started as just an excuse to have you know time to go back and see his mom and go back home but also to make some income you know on the side. Um, But my dad always said to me when I was younger, he said, you know, if I were to do it over again, I would have just gotten straight into real estate and I would have just built this rental portfolio, you know, way bigger than it is now. So he always kind of fed that idea that, you know, I should get into real estate. I, so I kind of went into my adult life just thinking, all right, I'm going to get into real estate. I, I didn't really put much thought into it. Um, my first career in real estate was actually on the commercial side. So I worked for um, Sperry Vaness. That was the first job that I got in. Um, they're all commercial real estate. It's a commercial real estate brokerage. Um, I thought I was going to get into kind of that side, like the leasing and sales of commercial buildings. Um, but it was a recession. And when I graduated, I actually graduated college in 2008. I was, I always joke around that like I literally graduated the day we went into a recession. And so I had, you know, uh, high hopes, you know, for myself. And then it was like uh, the worst job market ever. Um, but I was lucky and I, I got an internship that led into, um, you know, having pretty a pretty decent career in commercial real estate um, on the corporate side. Uh, soon after, uh, you know, being in on that side of things, I had my first daughter and I learned really quickly that working the eight to five is very difficult when you're a mom. And I think I, you know, went back on, you know, went back to work for my maternity leave and within months knew I need to find a way that I can be home with my daughter because I never see her. I mean, I come home and I I pick her up from daycare and you know, she's maybe awake for an hour and a half and that's it. So I knew I was willing to do anything at that point. I would have left real estate. I really honestly would have done anything. Um, it just so happened that my brother had started flipping homes and he had flipped a few homes right before then. And he said, you know, you should just try flipping some houses, you know, I think with what I've made in these deals, like you could just flip like one or two houses a year and probably be fine. And, you know, my husband, uh, you know, at the time, he, you know, he could still work in his corporate, he could work his corporate job. We could get the benefits from there and everything. So that was the original goal. Um, I, it's funny cause I look back and my goal was so small at that time. I literally took my salary. I minus how much I paid in childcare. I factored in a second child in there because I had just found out I was pregnant with our second kid. And, um, I, you know, factored in, okay, well the insurance will come from Andrew. I mean, I got it down to like, the penny of how much money I needed to make and flip houses and decided that I really just need to do two house flips a year to be just about the same as me having my corporate job. So that was my original goal. And it really, it snowballed into something I would have never in a million years imagined from there at that point. But that's the start.
0: Wow. What a story. My um, grandfather actually was in real estate too. I wish he had given me the advice that your dad told you and just, you know, gone straight into real estate. I think I read on your bio that you went to Fullerton. Yeah. So I went there too, um, actually for psychology and I'm like, I could have skipped all of that and just went into real estate and, you know, be further along where, where I am now.
1: Oh, that is so funny
0: it's a journey, right? It's a process.
1: For sure. What year did you graduate?
0: um, Undergrad was 2010, but I went to Fullerton for my grad program. So, you know, uh, a lot more regrets, right? Because (laughs) so much schooling before I even went into real estate.
1: Right. Yeah. It's all right though. I think at the end, you know, I mean, here you are. So who knows, like if you would even be here, had you not taken that path?
0: That's very, very true. And you said that, you know, your goals then were basically just to match what you had in corporate and cover all of your expenses and whatnot, but it's grown into something way beyond that now. So how does your goals, you know, look like now versus back then?
1: I mean, I would, I had my year in the last year has changed a lot because now I actually work on the coaching side, which I never thought, ever i would get into um i also am a podcast host another thing i never saw myself doing um ever but i did get approached by a larger real estate education company that's pretty well known in my space to coach a specific niche that I happen to be pretty good at and have a reputation for, um, which is virtual investing. So again, back to my dad being the OG of virtual. um, I didn't mention I live in Southern California, a very high price market. It's very hard to invest in real estate here. Um, It's just extremely competitive. You're you're competing with people that just want to live here and live in these homes that have cash and they're willing to pay market price with cash. so, you know, I my dad, you know, myself, a lot of people run into the problem where they want to invest in real estate, they want, you know, to buy rentals and have a rental portfolio, but they are stuck within, you know, the boundaries of California and they feel like it's impossible. Well, my, you know, with my experience, I'm here to say it is possible. Um I have to thank like my early, you know, childhood of seeing my dad do it um and then I took a spin off of that and I created a online uh coaching program. Uh, all about, you know, virtual investing. So how do you invest in this, like an area that's not in your backyard? So that's what I'm doing now. Um, my, you know, my house flipping career went from, I was flipping in my backyard. This was the recession. Um, I did have a, a good streak of house flipping time here in Southern California, but the deals just dried up. It became nearly impossible to get a house, you know, at the price that you would need to buy it at to generate the return that I was looking to make. Um, After, you know, a while now I I would say this is about 2016 when I really saw the writing on the wall that it's only going to get harder to find flip deals. And I'm either going to be out of this business completely and have to go get a job again, you know, or I need to go in a different state where the market isn't so hot. Maybe it's a little bit more balanced and try to figure out how to flip flip houses out of state. And so that's what I ended up doing in 2016.
0: Gotcha. So you went from flipping in your backyard, but when you noticed, you know, the deal started to dry up, you moved out of state and now you flip out of state, but you know, more so focusing on your coaching business and teaching other people how to do it.
1: Well, I'm focusing on both, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. (laughs) It's a lot of work, but yeah, right now I run, um, a wholesaling company. Uh, we're doing, I would think, I would say this year we'll probably hit 65 deals. This year, last year, we hit 55 wholesale deals. Um, I focus on Midwestern markets. Um, so that's what we're doing now is just volume wholesaling. And that keeps me pretty busy. But the coaching program, you know, that started this year, and I, you know, am focused on, you know, teaching students how to do the same. A lot of my students are people that are, California based, New York, Miami, just high priced markets where they want to invest in real estate, but they, you know, just where we live is just very difficult to do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk about your, you know, wholesaling business out of state, but first you mentioned that, you know, you're doing the podcasting, you have your wholesaling business and you're also doing coaching. So how do you find that work-life balance, um, you know, and being a mom on top of all of that?
1: You know i think i have really good boundaries um i make there are some things that are non negotiable in my day i work out every single day so that's like a non-negotiable i have to be physically active i will move meetings around i will cancel meetings i'll say no to meetings if it cuts into my workout time um i also really like picking up my kids from school Um, or I like, you know, I, if, if I can't do it every day, then I try to do it a few times a week or a couple times a week. Um, I like being present for their, you know, activities like dance class or soccer. Um, I like to be the one that's there on the field with them. So I have those boundaries where if my kids have activities, I'm there. So I hire people to be you know, where I can't be. So every department of my company, um, you know, every with every activity that I do, like I have an employee that's basically like, like I call like my clone. Um so for my coaching program, I have a ton of support staff. Um for my wholesaling business, I have literally like my right hand man. He's like my facilitator um, and he's making sure that you know everything is going, you know, well. So I don't really have to be super involved in my wholesaling business. Um, so I would just say it's utilizing employees and hiring people Awesome, because you can't do it
0: all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And also setting those boundaries and holding them and keeping to them is probably tough for a lot of people. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, what you accept, you know, really becomes your life. So think about it, I guess, when, you know, decisions come up.
1: That is, yeah, that's a really good point because people do get sucked into working themselves to death and it's because they set that precedent for themselves. So for me, anytime I, I get a new project, anytime there's a new company or a new project or a new revenue stream, I instantly think, okay, how many hours is this going to add to my week? And then who can I hire to do it for me? And that's, so now like I'm honestly in the role to be quite honest, I don't work very hard in my wholesaling business at all. Like I have employees that do everything. I just check in maybe an hour a week. Um, with the coaching business that is, I do have to be the voice of that, but I also have support staff that helps me with that as well. And I consolidate it. So the coaching calls are on one day. Um, and I just consolidate my time. I'm kind of, I'm really good about time blocking too, which is, you know, some good time management tips. Um, I'm really good about that. Um, but also, you know, I'm gonna, no, I'm not gonna lie this year. I've been very busy and I had to start waking up at 5:30 in the morning and I was never that person. Like I always wanted to be that 5am person, but I was never really motivated enough But when I started the coaching program, I realized like I can't do it all unless I somehow find an extra hour in my day. And I will say you one hour before like seven in the morning is the like is equal to like three hours between eight to five because you have no distractions at all. So if you really want to be super, super productive, start waking up early and start working at six o'clock in the morning. I love that
0: productivity hack. (laughs) It's like before your whole team and everybody wakes up right and the emails flood in. Um, But you know, I think it's great you mentioned that the first thing you think of now is how many hours will it take me to do a task? And who can I hire to do it for me? I think a lot of people who get into real estate or just entrepreneurship start off on their own. Mm -hmm. And then probably go past the point where they should have hired someone um before they actually do and yeah. they hold off on that for a long long time but i find it probably actually keeps them from growth how did you get to the point and you're so comfortable with you know hiring people to help you on your businesses now but it's you know enables you to do like maybe 65 wholesale deals a year
1: So I would probably think some good mentors. So I, you know, I bought into education and coaching programs when I first started in real estate investing. And I remember there was a specific one that I bought into, and the guy was really um, he really stressed like scaling and hiring out. And I noticed he had a great life. Like he had four kids and he didn't seem to work that hard. Like he was really relaxed. He lived down by the beach and stuff. And I realized, and I met his team, you know, and I saw like he had these other people doing all the work for him. So he could just be out by the beach with his kids. And so I emulated him. I mean, I just was like, okay, I want his life. How am I going to do that? And I remember asking him because he was my coach at the time. And I asked him, you know, am I ready to hire an assistant? It was just me and I was doing everything and I was ran to the ground. I mean, I was so, I was like exhausted, doing all the roles, sales, marketing, answering seller calls, making, you know, managing flip projects. Like I was buried in work and I had two little babies, you know, like one was like a newborn. One was a two-year-old. And I remember him saying like, yeah, you are ready. And that was all I needed to hear was just like this guy saying, yes, yes, you need to do that. And I was like, Okay. So that was my first hire. And then it did take me a little bit to then hire the next and the next. Um, but it's weird how it's like a snowball effect with business growth. And it's very, it's a, there's a compound effect to it. Um, you start off with just one assistant, you know, and then the next year you're making maybe double the amount of money you were making. So now you can have three more support staff and then now you're making, and then you're making triple what you were making. So now it's like, well, now I can have, you know, a full blown team. Like I don't, I can't honestly tell you how much support staff I have, like they're with all the organizations I've got going on right now. Like I'm like, okay, I've got her and then this, you know, but um, it's, it's interesting how there's a compound effect to it. So you just start slow, you know, you start with one hire, you know, and then see how your profitability is, make sure that you're maintaining profitability, your profit margin hasn't dropped um because you hired and you added expenses. You want to make sure if you hire that person, your profit margin sh- should stay the same um or, you know, maybe even improve. Um, you know, so you start from there and then you hire your next one and your next one. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I mean, I I bet you're thankful for your mentor for saying, yes, you are ready at that moment.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think good mentorship is like key. That was like, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for like really good mentors. And the, this one in particular, I think was a game changer for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you have any advice, though, for people who, you know, might be where you were at the time when you were asking your mentor, you know, for permission to hire an assistant, Um, you may maybe they want to hire or they're thinking about it, but they're not sure how do you find the right person and you know you've hired so many people now I'm sure you have like a process down
1: you know, I wish I could say I do. I don't. I think that that is, is always very hard to hire a good talent. I think if you ask any business person, they're going to say that hiring and firing is very difficult. Um, you want to hire slow and fire fast. So I had to learn that, um, I would hire, you know, kind of quickly and then fire slowly. Uh, I had a really hard time firing people, letting people go. Um, I don't always have the best boundaries, you know, with employees. And I, I recognize that that is still a weakness that I'm trying to work on. It's getting better at saying, okay, this person is not doing their job and they're costing you too much money. They're cut, you know? Um, so I still, and, and I think when you, if I really look back at what is that? Cause I still have it. I still struggle with it. I'm being real with you guys. Like I'm not, you know, I haven't got it all figured out. Um, and it's the same as the new person who's never hired anybody it's fear. And for me, it's fear of firing somebody. It's fear of letting somebody down. Um, it's fear of firing somebody and then they're going to sue me or, you know, like I just, all these thoughts go in my head when I'm hiring as because, you know, I look at it as an employee, like another employee, another body is a risk. I kind of still naturally have that. Um, and it's just fear, I think. And I think the newer person is fear. It always boils down to fear. I think.
0: For sure. Yeah. I mean, thank you for getting so real and raw with us. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm sure a lot of people, you know, have that fear, but it sounds like even for you, what's helped maybe is just looking at the numbers too, not making it personal, but Hey, is this higher, you know, bringing in more revenue for me or are my numbers dropping? Right. Mm -hmm. So Then you can kind of take away the emotional side of it
1: yeah and i am a people person so i get really close with like everybody i meet like i just that's how i am like i just connect with people and i've learned that i need to kind of keep myself away from getting to know employees too well because then i start getting um attached you know and i don't want to let them down i feel bad you know and i i kind of see the best in them and i try to like make it work when really it's not going to work i'm just not good at you know quitting on people so that's still something I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But it sounds like it's another boundary that needs to be set, right?
0: Um, mm-hmm. Like there is a employee to employer relationship versus like mm-hmm. a friendship. Right, right. You, know, sure. you mentioned one of the fears was, oh, if I let them go, what if they sue me? Have you no. in your real estate career um, gotten into any type of like litigation
1: or? Yes, I have. And that's why (laughs) Yeah, so it was always and and I don't know why but it was always like a fear of mine being a business owner that I would get sued I don't know where this idea popped in my head because I mean I was I started this business I think I was what 25 so I don't really know where litigation came into my life at 25 years old, but um, It might have been because my past employer we had employees talking about suing and my past employer was very scared of being sued and he would make a sign stuff like mediation agreements and stuff like that. So I think like that, that made me fear like, oh, wow, I'm, employers must get sued a lot. And, um, so my biggest fear being a business owner was being sued. And, uh, I think it was my second year in the business. I bought a, a flip property. And it was, I bought it in kind of a creative way. I bought it from a note trader. So I actually like acquired um, the property from the person who held the debt and foreclosed on this house. And he was an LLC. It was actually like a small LLC investment company. So he closed. He took the house back. Um, the owner was still in the property. Uh, she was refusing to leave. He did not want to deal with the real estate. He's a note trader and most note traders don't want to deal with the real estate. They just want, they just want to trade paper. Um, so he sold me the home and he sold me a lawsuit. I bought this home, not knowing anything about it. And I got involved in a lawsuit. He was uh, that he was involved. It, It was before me, a lot in this lawsuit was way before my time, even before this note trader's time, because he bought the note from someone else. So it was like a, you know, three generation like kind of situation um, to unwind. But I was involved in it because now I'm the one holding the hot potato and they had to freeze the property. We couldn't keep trading the property, you know? Um, So they had to freeze the property. So they had to sue me. And, um, you know, one thing I've learned is what a lot of shady lawyers do when there's someone who really doesn't have a case is they throw a lot of causes of action in a lawsuit to just see what sticks, like kind of, you know, throw crap on the wall and see what sticks technique. Um, so, I mean, she did throw anything she could. So there was some slanderous stuff in there, um, about me as a person. And it was like, she doesn't even know me. Like, this is so weird. I literally just bought this person's home. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know her at all. You know, I mean, she just, she's the one who foreclosed didn't pay her bills, but she had to like throw, you know, these other causes of action in there that are quite slanderous to me. Um, so it was very difficult. I was only 20, I think I was 26, um, two little kids, you know, being served a lawsuit. My daughter was right next to me and I get handed, you know, a knock on my door, Are you Lauren Hardy. And I get handed this lawsuit and I'm about to, you know, pass out. Like, I was like, Oh my God, like, what did I, what have I done? Like, should I even be in this business? Like, th- did I do something wrong? I mean, it's crazy when you're in that situation. I mean, you just assume it's your fault and that you did something wrong. That's like when you've never been sued before, like you just assume like, Oh, I must've made a mistake. Um, but you know, once I will say end result is that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, it did take a year and a half to get out of that. It was a year and a half commitment, um, of litigation, back and forth depositions. We almost went to trial. Um, you know, multiple attorneys fighting different, you know, sides and everything. Uh, very interesting. I learned a lot about law. I, I basically became an attorney by the end of it because I was like everything I would research, like, what does that mean? What is this? What is that? So um, I was super over-involved in it. I, now I actually would not be that involved if I got sued again, <laughs> but at the time I was very involved. Um you know and it thickened up my skin in a way you would not believe i used to be such a chicken about business and about th- threats when when somebody would get threatening to me in business or anything like i was such a chicken now i am like please like go ahead and try to sue me let me show you how it's going to work out for you like i now know what to say and how to respond to litigious people Because if you're in business, you are going to get threatened to get sued all the time. Like you're by employees, by customers, like going to happen so now like i have that thick skin that it doesn't ruffle my feathers at all anymore and i can actually stand up for myself and reply back and say you know okay well if you choose to do this like let me tell you how it's going to look for you and i you know it's made me a very strong woman in the end so i would never take it back and in the end it worked out fine i i, I won it was fine <laughs> it was like it was fine everything was fine and it was like the most money i'd ever made still in the history of all my flips it was the best the most money, even though I had uh, two years of holding costs, it was like the best deal. So worked wow. out.
0: I'm so glad it worked out for you. Um, yep. you know, someone that an investor friend of mine, uh, always told me if you're in real estate, it's not about if you're going to get sued, but when, so, you know, it's amazing yeah. how, you know, it sounds like, at the time you were so scared and this was such a big deal, but afterwards, like it became the best deal and you learned so much about the process that Mm -hmm. you're in a better place now because of it, right? Right, absolutely. I think it's crazy, too, because you said your previous employer, you know, they were really scared of getting sued all the time. I'm wondering if, you know, that um, affected your mindset in a way and kind of, um, you know, almost like brought about this uh, incident for you because it was a fear that you were experiencing and then it's like it happened, right?
1: I know. I, you so know strange. It's strange. Super, like, I know, woo-woo a little bit. I can be that way a little bit. Like, I'm, I can be new agey. And I do think that I wonder if the universe brought that to me to, to conquer fear very quickly. I do notice that, you know, it's funny. The things that you're most afraid of are sort of the things that get kind of thrown in your lap. Um, so maybe there was some sort of weird reason, like, <laughs> that that universe, that the universe thought I needed to endure that um, because it was my number one fear. And still to this day, what's funny, I know tons of investors who've never been sued before and like the type of, and the type of lawsuit and like how far it went. Like I talked to very seasoned people and they're like, that's never happened to me. Like, I can't believe that happened to you. And you was like your first year, second year, like <laughs> such bad luck. Like people were like, that's just really bad luck. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was yeah. only like
0: your second year. It was my the second business. year.
1: Yeah, it was horrible luck. But, it, but I'm telling you, I'm such a, like, I am so, what do, they, it's so cheesy. What doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger. And it, it seriously, like, made, I don't just have, like, thick skin. I have, like, alligator skin. Like, it, I'm not afraid of, a, it takes a lot to, like, actually ruffle my feathers. Like, it takes a lot to stress me out. I don't, like, I think you could even ask, like, my employees, like, I, nothing rouses me up very much. Anymore. And I, I swear, I think it's because of that. Cause I used to get afraid of, I used to get afraid of talking to a seller on the phone. I would get nervous, intense. And, and now I'm getting you know, just nothing really, um, nothing really like sparks that fight or flight reaction in my body anymore because I endured something so stressful. Wow, that's amazing. And you know, I know there's
0: no way that can substitute everybody going through that themselves really to learn it, but if there was some takeaway, maybe something that can help a listener who has that same fear of litigation or getting sued, what would you say that would be?
1: I mean, I guess just re-replay what I just said and how I wouldn't take it back. It's made me a better business person. Um I don't think, I don't even know if I would be where I'm at right now. Like I, it's made me a way better business person. Um, and I think I've actually avoided litigation and I will avoid more litigation because I've been through it so early in my career. So I don't make stupid mistakes. Like everything I do is pretty, is above board. I do research to make sure I'm following rules and, you know just doing you know everything the right honorable way um, but that's also kind of the person I am um, but but I just kind of look at it as like if I do screw something up it will happen to me <laughs> so um, yeah it's it's really actually it will end up being good for you um, mm-hmm. and don't be so worried about being sued I mean really it really is just paperwork if you can kind of just dumb it down and um, you know, I don't know. I, I ended up dating a civil litigator for quite a while. And so it, and it was actually around this time and after. And so I saw him at work. I saw him, you know, go to court and just what he did. And really, it's just a game. It's just this game of paperwork going back and forth. So somebody can feel like they won. I mean, most of the time, there's really not even that great of a financial resolution. Most of the time, there's just a settlement. It rarely goes to trial. Um, and it's just so somebody could feel like they won. Um, and it's just paperwork. It's just like a dance. It's not that big of a deal. You're not going to die. It's not like a meteor is hitting your house. Mm -hmm. You'll be fine.
0: (laughs) I love that. Yeah, definitely replay that and listen to it because I think a lot of times people are scared, especially around litigation, maybe because they're not sure what does that process look like? You know, what is What does this mean and what's going to happen? But like you said, really, it's just a lot of paperwork. (laughs) And yeah, it's, yeah,
1: people, I, I can remember when I first got sued, I literally thought of it as like, I was just told I had a brain tumor. I mean, that's how terrified I was, it was all I could think about. I was sobbing for days. Like I would, I lost like five pounds. Like I was that stressed out and I could imagine other people are, um, it's not a brain tumor. Like it's going to be okay. It really is just paperwork. Yeah. It's going to financially suck, but you know what, when I was going through that, I was so I was scared of what it would do to me financially. I didn't know because there was a lot of unknown in that, you know, so I just worked even harder and took like more risk. And I ended up making more money in the subsequent years after that than I ever thought possible. And I think it was because I was just so internally motivated to pay my legal fees and like, and pay, you know, if there was some sort of settlement that I'd have to pay for, like, Um, which there wasn't, it ended up being nothing. So um, yeah, so I like ended up just making a ton of money after So It's like, it it ended up being okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, you took something that at the time you thought was like as severe as a brain tumor and you made it your best deal ever. So. Mm -hmm. Totally what do you think um, are some of your motivations that keep you going? You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, You know, throughout your whole career, you must have faced adversity. Um, In addition, you know, to this lawsuit, what do you find, um, where do you draw inspiration from?
1: Yeah, you know, I was actually just talking to um, my social media manager about this. We were walking from lunch and we were like, You know, it's like you have uh, motivations, like most of my motivations have all been more like achieving these goals and just being like, I did that, you know, like achieving goals or um, the main, the main motivation for me was just having the lifestyle to be home with my children whenever I want. Um, I really wanted time freedom. I didn't care about money. My, all my motivations have always been sort of more geared towards lifestyle and Um, time freedom, being able to pick up my kids from school, being able to be there at their, you know, events and practices and volunteer at school or like go to like Christmas at school and the cookie decorating parties. Like I, my mom worked corporate life. She was never at any of those events. And I just said, like, when I have kids, I, I want to be there. I don't want to be, I don't want my kids to be like how I was, where I was the only kid whose mom wasn't there. Um, so that was like a huge motivator for me. And I think that that got me this far. Uh, but then I started thinking, I'm like, you know, I don't have, I never had any like a uh, more selfish, you know, goals. Uh, like I want to own a boat, <laughs> you know, or <laughs> I want this type of house or anything. So I think like in the net, w- I'm kind of wondering if maybe I should just see what, if that works. Like in 2021, actually switch it. Cause I already have the lifestyle. Like I'm already there. So now like, all right, now I want things Like, let's see if that works. I don't know if it will. We'll see. Check back with me in a year. Yeah, we'll see. Um, We'll see you on a boat next year. (laughs) Yeah, I never wanted a boat. I still don't really think I want one. I was like, what things? I don't know. I'm pretty simple. Like, I don't really, I'm not very materialistic. So I'm like, I have to think about things. Like, what would I want, you know? But uh, I'm going to try that this year. More material possessions and see if that's more motivating. I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. That's funny.
0: Um, You know, I was wondering if you have any advice for people who are starting out and, you know, and they want that type of lifestyle freedom and time freedom that you have created for yourself and for your life. Where would you suggest they start?
1: You need to find a mentor who has that. So like you need to find someone who is where you want to be at this moment because it's all that's always going to change. You're going to find someone and then you're going to be like, I want to be just like him. And it's like, all of a sudden you are like him, you know, five years later, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm that person. So then you have to find another mentor. You know, that's where you want to go next. That goal. It's like, you're always going to be chasing that the next, you know, lifestyle goal. Right. Um, So find that mentor and pay for them to teach you how to get there. That's what I did with that first mentor. I told you who had the four kids and he just had like, just seemed like he had the coolest life. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I have his life. I never, I can't believe that. Like looking back, I'm like, I never, I have his life now. Huh? Crazy. You know? Oh. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> Does your program
0: go over, you know, how to kind of free up your time after you've established the business and, um, put in processes or is it more just like the how to of virtual investing?
1: So my, I do take on like the newer investor to the more seasoned investors. So I take on like total newbies who don't even know what wholesaling is. Um, so I'll take the beginners and uh, it, that, they take a little bit more hand holding during the coaching calls and me, you know, really explaining stuff out to them. Um, I'll do like private kind of one-on-ones with them for, you know, I'll do little like webinars for the newer investors, just me and them to kind of catch them up. Um, but that doesn't take very long. They get caught up really quick. Um, and then I get the more like experience, like they've done a few deals, but they really want to like refine the processes or they want to take their business virtual. And basically my, my course, the e-course puts it like a roadmap. Like I'm giving you a recipe. This is how you have a virtual wholesaling business, you know, from the sales, my scripts, this is how you convince um, a seller to sign a contract over the phone without never have never met you um to how do you pick a market that's going to be benef- you know a good market versus like picking the wrong market because you can certainly do that um you know to your processes to the marketing channels we use that work very well virtually um and then the processes like the systems for the marketing like i go through all of that it's like very very comprehensive um so yeah in the in the one on one coaching calls are more where i get those questions of like Hey, Lauren, like I'm having a really hard time, like with my just like life balance, like, you know, and I, that's, it's more of that come, those kind of conversations come up in the coaching calls. Um, you know, like how do I juggle like making all these offers and doing this and doing that? And like, sometimes it's, sometimes it's as easy as like, okay, review your process with me and I'll notice like, okay, you need to learn time batching. And I teach them like, okay, instead of, for example, like the worst thing you want to do is like you're doing lead gen, you're generating new leads, you get a hot one, so then you pick up the phone and you do seller qualifying. Those are two different actions that switch your lanes in your brain a little bit. You need to just focus on lead gen and put that lead in a pile and then you're done with lead gen. Now you're gonna do all your qualifying calls and you just do all your qualifying calls. And then you put the ones, you know, that you wanna make offers on in a pile And then you, you know, analyze all the properties and make your, like, get ready to make your offers and just knock all those out. Like do it like a Ford assembly line kind of method. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I teach in the coaching calls. Gotcha. So um, so we were talking about your course and
0: I'm wondering because you've had to switch markets before, right? In order to like kind of keep up with what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. I know you help people pick a target market for themselves. How, do you also go over like, when is it right to pivot and switch like you have done?
1: I mean, I think my goal is to put them in a market that's going to work. So they don't need to pivot and switch. <laughs> I think that's more my objective is like, don't make the mistakes I did where I did actually go to some markets where I've had to pivot and switch. So I now know uh, what to avoid. And so I give them the tips to avoid that so they don't have to go through it and waste their time in markets that they're not going to be very successful in. Awesome, yeah. And um, if you guys are interested,
0: all of Lauren's information uh, will be in the show notes. So you can check there. Is there anything we haven't discussed today that um, you want to touch upon?
1: Gosh, no, no, I think we, I mean, we went through a lot of different stuff I didn't think we'd get into today. (laughs) So I think we have a good episode. Yeah. Thank you so much for being
0: on the show. Thank you for having me.